that's so fun. I love to have fun in church. Are you having a good time today? If you are, give me a clap. So many jerseys we have. Listen, I'm, I'm wearing, it's, it's a little subtle, but I'm a Cowboys fan. Are uh, the three of us, boo, you can boo it, it's all right. Um, we're tough, you know, um, we have to live through a lot. I've decided that I'm going to invite the Dallas Cowboys to my funeral and be my pallbearers so they can let me down one more time. <laughs> hey, listen, if you're a guest today, we're so glad you're here with us. Welcome to church. Can we give our guest a quick clap? Go ahead. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me give you my pastor's prediction for the Super Bowl. I believe this is from my research and deep study. Um, nothing spiritual. This is not prophetic. This is just me. But I believe I'm right. I was right last year. You can go back and look. But um, I believe the Rams will win by 13 tonight. And I believe Aaron Donald, the defensive lineman, will be the MVP. So that's my prediction. Next Sunday when you come and I'm right, I expect high fives from every one of you. If I'm wrong, I give you permission to heckle me during my next week's message. All right? Awesome. Listen, the Super Bowl, it's the... It's the biggest game of the year. It's the greatest battle in football, but it's just a game. A matter of fact, I was reading that the losing team, every player still gets a check for $75,000 just for showing up. So I think they're going to be okay, don't you? So listen, it's just a game. Today though, we're talking about spiritual warfare and we are also in a very real battle that's not a game and the stakes are much higher. Today I want to get us ready. My sermon title is Battle Ready. Battle Ready. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Battle Ready. Battle Ready. So we're going to the book of Ephesians chapter six. The apostle Paul wrote Ephesians. He was in prison when he wrote this and he's sitting in jail in prison and he has Roman soldiers standing as guards around him. And he is writing a letter about spiritual warfare. And so while he's looking at a Roman soldier, he writes this part of Ephesians and he uses the armament of a, of a Roman soldier to describe the, the different weapons we have in warfare. And so it says in Ephesians 6, chapter 10 through 12, it says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Whose stand? Yeah, your stand. Listen, I love you and I'll pray for you, but it's somewhere you have to learn to take your stand against the attacks of the enemy. So I hope, honestly, church, that I'm raising up a church body who knows how to take a stand in this world, who knows how to stand up against the attacks of the enemy. So it says you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms." Apostle Paul's teaching us that there is a battle going on in the spirit realm. It's what we see in the natural is one thing, but there's something happening in a spiritual realm. There's something going on behind the scenes that is happening. And he's teaching us that Satan and his co-workers 
They're called demons and they're at work. They're planning, strategizing, and working a scheme to defeat and discourage Christians today. The devil has this well-organized plan. He has a, a strategic plan. He has a, a team of demons to carry out his schemes. Now, since it's Super Bowl Sunday, I want to make a, a fun comparison, but I want you to catch the point of this. And I want to compare it to an offensive coordinator for one of the Super Bowl teams. Both of them have a, an offensive coordinator. An offensive coordinator is the coach of the offense. And the role of an offensive coordinator is to study the opposing team's defense and he creates a strategy. He creates a series of plays that will expose the weaknesses of the defense so that he can move the ball by these different plays, these strategies, these schemes to move the ball down into the territory of the opposing team, eventually score and defeat the other team. The enemy operates like that. He operates with a plan. He has a strategy. He has a series of plays that he is going to bring into your life and he is trying to eventually move the ball, move into your territory and bring you into a place of defeat and discouragement and depression and he wants to just derail your life. That's his plan. He has like an offensive coordinator. But the Apostle Paul, he teaches us that we can be battle ready. We can be prepared for what he brings at us. So Ephesians 6, 13, he goes on, he says, therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand against your ground. And listen, I want to tell you, church, I don't mean to bum you out, but the day of evil, you will come under spiritual attacks just as well. But Apostle Paul teaches us so that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Verse 14 says, stand firm then. And he gives us six ways that we can protect ourselves or we can, we can be ready for the spiritual attacks that come. The six armaments we have. And he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth that's buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in its place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, again he says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Every piece of the armament that the apostle Paul is giving to us as he's looking at these soldiers, he then gives it a spiritual representation. It becomes a spiritual weapon. Now, in order for us to, to understand a bigger picture of what's going on, there are three things that all of us need to know that we take from the scriptures here. And one of those is that you need to know your enemy. So, you know, like the Bengals and the Rams, they, they have taken weeks to study their opposing team. Like they're not showing up this week to the ball game and today they're not gonna look across the field and go, oh, we're playing the Rams, I didn't know. Like they, they, they know, they've studied their weaknesses. They want to be prepared. We need to be prepared. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 11, it says that we stand against whose schemes? The devil's schemes. And you know, church, the devil isn't like a, um, a symbol of evil. He is real. He isn't like a, um, well, a red creature in, you know, in spandex jumpsuit with, with horns and a pitchfork that you see on Halloween. He isn't just a cosmic force of negativity. No, the devil was actually an angel that God had created. 
who rebelled against God. And in his rebellion, God removed him from heaven. The angel Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. He took with him a league of angels with him that we now call them demons today. And now they are on earth to harass and defeat Christians today. On one occasion, though, Jesus was with his disciples. And he said this about Satan. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so with that, we can conclude that there really is no contest between Satan and God. It's not like a, a Super Bowl going on in heaven. We're not waiting and anticipating and, you know, predicting, you know, is God going to pull this through in the fourth quarter? No, no. He smashed him and sent him to, you know, to earth, right? In other words, there's no contest. So Satan is no contest to God. But church, we should respect the devil. Like respect, now I don't mean like, you know, honor him, but I think we need to be fully aware of who he is and what he wants to do. Kind of like the Cincinnati Bengals, they better respect Aaron Donald. This man, I looked him up, he's 285 pounds of muscle. He's huge. He's a force to reckon with. I was thinking about myself, I'm 185 pounds and I'm 30 pounds of muscle. <laughs> This man's a beast. Man, the Bengals, listen, they need to respect him. They need to know where he is at all times or he will wreak havoc on them. And church, when it comes to spiritual warfare, the last thing we want to do is to ignore the devil or underestimate his desire to bring uh, his destruction into your life. Let me, let me set the tone for just a minute. I've had a lot of fun, but let me, let me bring this to a moment of seriousness. The Bible teaches us that Satan, the devil, is a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And those words in Scripture are not meaningless words. Those are the realities of what the devil wants to do in your life. The devil wants to destroy your marriage. The devil wants to, to snatch your children and bring them into worldly bondages. He wants them hooked on drugs and to miss their identities. The devil wants to discourage you. The devil wants to tempt you into sin. The devil wants to trap you in a, a life of bondages in your sin. He wants you to have a sense of, of isolation that I can't tell anybody what's wrong and you live in your humiliation and, and in your condemnation. He wants to keep you there. That's the devil's plan against you. Listen, the devil is no joke, church. And you better respect the fact that he has some power and plans, a scheme to defeat your life. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it says, stay alert. Peter's like, hey, church, people, you need to wake up to this fact that there's a great enemy and he is the devil and he is prowling around looking for a, like a lion roaring, looking for someone to devour. And that's you and I. A lack of respect of the devil can lead us into a life of destruction. But... But we should not fear the devil either. Yes, the devil is full of evil, but you are full of God. Amen. 
And the Bible teaches us in 1 John 4, 4, it says, you dear children are from God and what? Overcome. Everybody say overcome. You have overcome them. You've overcome the world. You've overcome the attack of the enemy because you're a child of God. And it says, because of the one who is in you. Who is in you? It's the Holy Spirit that is in you. When you gave your life to Christ, he deposited his spirit inside of you. And therefore it says, because of the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So we don't fear the devil. You don't have to fear him. But we do need to be battle ready, battle ready. Now, some Christians, listen, are in two extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare. We have some Christians over here and, and they're untaught and they, they don't know the scriptures about spiritual warfare or they just tend to ignore it and they just pretend it's not really happening in their life. And I mean, you can ignore it all you want, but that doesn't stop the battle against you. And so when you ignore it, you are easily trapped and, and fooled and fall into the temptations and, and to the, the destructions of the enemy. So that's one camp of people. And so today we're here to help educate you and bring you to an awareness. There's another side of the, the camp when it comes to spiritual warfare. And we usually find this in more charismatic churches. But we find the people on this side of the equation that take it to the extreme. And they find a devil in everything. Everything is spiritual warfare. Like every problem they have, it's the devil. Like, and so like they, they just fall into this place where they, they just, everything is, is about spiritual warfare. And I want you to know that not everything is in a demonic attack on your life. Not everything. Like as an example, like the devil, like didn't, you know, help you break your diet from your new year's resolution. <laughs> you went to Dairy Queen and you partnered with Dairy Queen to <laughs> defeat your diet. Amen. The devil did not make you go broke. It's when you went to Starbucks and you bought a $6 mochaccino with extra whip and a little chocolate with heavy cream on top of that thing that partnered up to defeat your finances. And that's probably what hurt your diet as well. Listen, you don't need the devil when you act like that. Some people see a devil in everything. Sometimes that flat tire you have, it's just cause the truck in front of you dropped a nail off the truck and you ran over it and you got a flat tire. You know, the problem is, is when we see the devil in everything and people tend to over-spiritualize their hardships, they tend to blame their problems on the devil rather than taking personal responsibility for the poor decisions they made in their life. Amen. Listen, if you act dumb and do dumb stuff, that's not the devil's fault. Listen, you can't cast out dumb. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to lay hands on myself every morning and go, Tim, don't be dumb today. You know, cast that out. But I still have decisions to make. So everything isn't the devil. Sometimes people get um, very spiritually um, lofty in their spiritual warfare and they're 
prideful in it and, and they overfocus on it in, in so many ways. And they believe that in some way that, that like there's a uniqueness about their life that they live under spiritual warfare all the time. And they're like, I'm so anointed. So the devil is attacking me all the time. And, and what happens in that place is, is they live defeated because if you live in a battle all your life, you know, that's going to wear you down at some point. We weren't created to live in the battle. We were created to overcome the enemy and live in joy and live in freedom in our life. And I want to say to you, if you're so anointed that the devil is attacking you all the time, you ought to have enough anointing to overcome him then. Amen to that. So I say that quit over-spiritualizing everything Take some responsibility for some of your dumb actions. And then today, amen, let's be battle ready for those moments that we are in a spiritual warfare. Most people consider prayer to be the only form of spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul gives us six armaments to prepare us. And if prayer is only your only weapon that you have, then that will be incomplete in what Paul is teaching us. If prayer is your only way of spiritual warfare, that would be like locking the front door on your house, but leaving all the windows open on your house and thinking you're protected. And so Paul gives us these six ways to, to defeat the enemy. And he says to put on the full armor, all the armor. You need it all, he says. So first he says, put on the belt of truth. Ephesians six fourteen says the belt of truth. And the enemy is attacking truth today. We see the evidence of this all in our world today. Check this, this on the screen. In culture, truth is relative. In the Bible, truth is the standard. In culture, truth is relative because they'll say, well, I feel this way, therefore that is my truth. Uh, I want to act this way. I want to be this person. And there's no standard that sets a place for right and wrong. Without a standard of right and wrong, then what their right is, is their right. What their wrong is their wrong. And it just is everybody's right and wrong. But without a standard that comes from the scriptures, then it becomes relative. And therefore, it's an absolute disaster in life. Every person needs to come to a reality. Every Christian needs to come to reality that there really is truth and it is from the word of God. For, for us as believers, the Bible is truth. And if the Bible says it, then I have to conclude that I believe it. Even if it goes against culture, and it will. The Bible was never written to align with culture. The Bible was written to help culture to align with it. And I want you to know that sometimes when you take your stand for what the standard of God's word is, it won't make you popular in culture, but it will make you popular in heaven. Amen. What do you prefer? You see, if the devil can, can convince you that any part of the Bible is not relevant for today. If he can get you to, to break that, that standard and say, well, well, there's this one part here that, that I just, I can't, I can't go along with it. And if he can break one part, then he's broken the standard. And if he can get you to break 
the standard of God, then what he can do is he convince you that the Bible is flawed. He can convince you that it's unreliable for any of today's world. Then he can sway you in any direction he wants to take you. So the belt of truth means that every word in the Bible is truth. And I live my life to fit its standards. Amen. The breastplate of righteousness. It says in Ephesians 6, 14, the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is made up of two things, two parts. On the screen you see righteousness is right standing with God and right living for God. Righteousness is right standing with God. What that means is, is when you give your life to Christ, that you are forgiven of all your wrong standings with God. Everything that was wrong, every sin you've had has been forgiven and now you are in right standings. You are righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ did. Listen, and there's nothing you have to do to earn that righteousness. Jesus Christ, he paid the price. He did all the work on the cross. We believe it in the name of Jesus and we are saved and we are forgiven and we come into right standing with God. Amen, do you believe that? Amen. Amen. But the second part of righteousness is right living for God. And the interesting part is in the first part, God does all the work. In the second part, there's a responsibility on our part to line up with the biblical truth that we read. And we have to learn to live for God. I was trying to think of the best way to say that. Because righteousness is, is really integrity in your life between the way you act and what you believe the Bible says. It's integrity between, between your belief system as a Christian and, and what you do in your life. And even when people don't see it, it's how you act. That's the integrity of it, that I, I just believe in God's word and I, and I live for God. I, what it's saying is, is we need to be, you know, like a, a true blue believer, you know, like, um, uh, you know, we are, um, a real deal Christian, you know, and, and, and that's what it's talking about. We live it out in our life. The word says in Proverbs 13, six, it says that righteousness guards the person of integrity. So like when you live right, when you are righteous, then it forms a protective barrier in your life from the attacks of the enemy because you are living right. You are right standing, but you're living for God and it protects us. But on the flip side of that, it says, but wickedness or wrong living or, or sinful living, what does it do? It overthrows the sinner. If righteousness guards us, then sinfulness invites the enemy in to attack us. And so we need to live right. It's not enough to just believe right. We have to start living right. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. That protects us. Next, the shoes of peace. The shoes of peace. It says in Ephesians 6, 15, that, that we are fitted, our feet are fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier, when he put on his his battle shoes. They were, they were sandals that he had. They were, 
the old Jesus sandals, but they had these little spikes that were on the bottom of them. They had little nails that stuck out. It would be very similar to on a football player with cleats on his shoes. And the reason they would wear that was so when they were in battle that they could, they could you know, lock in on the ground and they could position themselves. They could steady themselves. They could, they could be in a position of strength when the enemy came. And so they, they wouldn't slip and they wouldn't fall under the times of battle. And so God has given us the, the, a, a peace that becomes our steady. Like we were able to, to stand steady and strong in the midst of the storms of life. We can have peace in those seasons of life. We don't have to be swayed like the world is when hard circumstances hit our life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. So it's talking about, you know, get your, get your peace, stand firm and let nothing move you. And so church as, as believers in those seasons of circumstances, when the enemy is, is just dumping circumstances on us, listen, we can't let a job loss move us out of our peace. We can't let politics move us out of our peace. We can't let other people move us out of our peace. We can't let fear move us out of our peace. And the enemy will attack you through circumstances. It's not about the circumstance. He wants you to lay down your peace and, and enter into a season of fear, a season of worry and guilt. And he wants to destroy, he wants to depress you. And what happens is, is the moment we let go of peace, we allow these other types of emotions and things into our life. And they begin to, to beat us down to the point to where we go, I'm just worn out from these circumstances and I give up and we just fall apart in the middle of it. That's the enemy's plan. But we have shoes that are cleated and it's peace and we can hold on to peace as we trust God. Amen. Next, it says the shield of faith. In addition to all this, it says in 616, take up the shield of faith. Faith is confidence and assurance in God. Faith is confidence and assurance in God. You know, everybody has a measure of faith. You have a little faith. Um, like today when you came in here, you, you sat down on one of these super comfy, <laughs> metalish, plastic chairs, and you decided as you were squatting down, that chair will hold me up. And you made it, and you sat, and there it is. You had enough faith in the chair. But we need faith in God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Listen, we can't see God, but we put our faith in God that he can get us through every situation. Now, the opposite of faith is confidence and assurance in self. So faith in God, but the opposite is when we start trusting in ourselves. We start thinking, well, I can do this on my own. I don't need God anymore. I don't need to, to press in and, and come to church anymore. I don't need God. I don't need all those believers. And I can do it on my own. The devil will tell you, you can do it on your own. You can do it on your own. You can do it on your own. And we, we think we can do it on our own. Listen, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to get up every single day of your life and say, God, I depend on the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and strengthen me and help me because I can't do it on my own. I need your strength, God. The enemy wants to tempt me into this. The enemy wants to sway me here. But God, in you, I can have my peace and I can live in confidence and strength. Amen, Amen church. Amen. 
Amen. Next, the Bible teaches us that we need the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take up the helmet of salvation. Salvation is God's life-saving power to transform our lives. What that means is that you don't have to stay where you are. That's good news for me and you today. We don't have to stay in the, the bondages of life and, and we have God's power in our life to transform us and to, and to give us a brand new life. Listen, the old life is, is, is gone and the new life has come. The day you gave your life to Christ, God you know, implanted a cross between your old life and your old patterns and your old habits and your old nature and he gave you a brand new life and a brand new opportunity to live for him. The Bible teaches us that salvation is what provides a Christian soldier, that's me and you, with our identity in Christ, our identity. Identity is how you see yourself and what you believe about yourself. And so when we are saved, then we become a child of God. And so you have a perspective of your life now that I'm not that old person, I'm a brand new person in God. You have a new perspective, you have a new identity that you are a brand new creation and, and that you are fully forgiven and you know that through God now you are fully loved by God and forgiven. You know that through God and your salvation, you have a hope and a future, but the devil will attack that. And this is one of his attacks that he uses against you. He'll start, he'll start labeling you and he'll start bringing up your past and your failures. He'll start going back from the before Christ, before the cross time, and he'll start bringing that up in your life. And he'll say to you, you're not good enough. And what we need to be able to do is say, no, no, my weapon of warfare is that in Christ, I have all that I need. And the enemy is going to say, but you're a failure. You failed 15 times. And you say, yeah, but the cross enemy has set me free from my past. And I have a brand new future and a brand new opportunity. And my past doesn't define me. God defines my future. Like that's what we're talking about through salvation. Your weapon is salvation. And you can say, well, I used to be that. I used to have an old nature. But Jesus saved me. I'm a brand new person. And last, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And the enemy will distract you. He'll do everything he possibly can. Have you experienced this? You're going to get up and read your Bible, and, and that morning you get up and everything went wrong. You were out of coffee. Disaster. Um, your phone is going off, your, your calendar chirps at you, uh, things happen, children get up too early, uh, just everything happens. The enemy wants to do everything he can to keep you from the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Because the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, it's alive inside of you and you need to have the word of God in your life. The sword of the Spirit becomes your weapon of warfare. The Word of God does more than just educate us. We're not here just to get an education. We're here to be empowered by God's Word. And it helps us to, to be strengthened so that we can overcome the attacks of the enemy on your life. And he will do everything he can to keep you from the Word of God. He'll even tell you you don't need to go to church today. 
you're here, so I'm preaching to the others, but he'll tell you that next week. He'll like, you don't need to go next week. And listen, there's something about the word of God that's being preached that changes our life. We all need the preached word of God in our life, and he will distract us from it. Amen? Amen. Six weapons of warfare. I want to encourage you to take those notes and read them and, and prepare to be battle ready. The Bible said that the scriptures, as I close today, said that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of spiritual forces. And I want to tell you, the struggle is real. That's what it says, the struggle. But most importantly, the struggle is spiritual. In 2004, Harry and I launched our church and we walked right into a battle. Uh, we, we didn't want to, but it just came at us. We had so much that happened. One of the things in the first month of our church, Harriet became pretty severely sick with, with ulcers in her mouth. And, and I don't mean a normal thing. Every membrane inside her mouth and lips were ulcerated for weeks, six to eight weeks of that. She got to a point where she was so ulcerated in her mouth that she could only sip liquids through a straw. Often her lips would stick together because of the ulcers and bless her heart, she would take a razor blade and cut her lips open to get a straw to eat. Week after week, her body reacted with fevers and doctors couldn't figure out a, a way to, to stop its process. Now we're just months into this church and we're just getting this thing started. And then at the same time, while she's sick, both of our children, Bailey and Eli, came down with something called hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is like blisters and on their palms and in their mouth. And, and they got to where they couldn't even talk either. It was the quietest month of my life in our house, I'll say that. <laughs> but it was such a severe time of, of sickness. It, I was trying to run our church and run a home hospital and work outside the church. And Bailey got to a point where she couldn't eat anymore and she got so dehydrated, I'd take her to the hospital. My dad had a heart attack in the middle of that. He was gonna come stay with us. And I mean, it was just on and on and on. And, and was this just a physical attack? Not just physical. It was one of those moments, you know, it's a spiritual attack. What happened was those who finally got breakthrough from a phone call. Our children attended Myrtle Grove Christian School and the teachers there gathered for weekly prayer and our children's teachers kept turning in this prayer request for Bailey and Eli and their mom. And of course we were new to town. We'd only been here months and they're praying for us in their, their time. And one of the parents who had been in this prayer time had heard this prayer request for week after week and she finally found my number and she called me one day and she said, I've just had it with what the devil's doing in your life. And for a solid 15 minutes, that lady prayed heaven down through a phone call. And we ended up praying in the spirit on the phone and worshiping on a phone. I never met this lady, I never had met her, but she, she understood spiritual warfare and she, she prayed. And from that moment, we found breakthrough and Harriet began her healing. Took a little season to heal, but that was the turnaround and both children healed. 
And I look back at that and I'm like, why did the devil attack us? And I, I believe it's because he knew the potential of our church as we were just getting started and, and our desire to lead a powerful, spirit-filled, empowering church. And if, and if he could diminish my faith right at the get-go and change my belief in God's power, then I would come out of that much weaker and less leaned towards God's power to heal. And that's what the devil wanted. He wanted me to give up ground in that. As a result though, I came out stronger and we came out more convinced that when you pray and you undergo spiritual attacks, that you can overcome those attacks and God does heal and God does move in your life. We were battle ready and I want you to be battle ready too. And so if you're here today and you're in a battle, would you just bow your heads for this moment? Lift your hand to me and say, Pastor, I'm in one of those battles. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray over your church body. God, I pray that as you see their hand that you would move in their life. God, I pray that you would be their overcomer. God, just as that lady prayed for me on the phone, I pray for my church. And God, I pray that you would set free, deliver, heal. God, I ask that you'd break off every addiction, every, every stronghold in their life, God, I pray. But I pray it in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, who has set us free from every sickness and disease and every sin. And we get to live victorious because of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that over you and I ask you right now that you would receive it. Just say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I've run over just a minute and I'm not going to close until I give one final invitation for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you keep your attention for this last moment, if you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, I do not want you to leave this building without knowing Him as your Lord and Savior. Listen, we've talked about so many important things, but it begins right here. And I want you to know that you are loved by God. Listen, there isn't anything that you have ever done that can keep you from God's love. And we've all done stuff. That's why it says that we've all sinned and that's what separates us from God. But Jesus Christ, He came, He died on the cross for our sins. And when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, then He takes what penalty and punishment we deserved upon himself and we are free. That's why we have right standing. We're forgiven completely. There's nothing now between us and God because of Jesus Christ. We have right standing with him. Our role is to accept God's gift of eternal life by faith. And there's probably people here that have never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I want to make this your moment. Would you bow your heads? And if you're one of those here today and you've never had a moment where you said yes to Jesus Christ, would you lift your hand to me real high? I need to see your hand. Amen. Lift it high. I don't want to miss you. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's just all pray this out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know I've sinned. I turn to Jesus for my forgiveness. I receive forgiveness today. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen, church. I love you. God bless.